0: Thanks for tuning in to the Renew Life Church Lubbock podcast today. We hope this message encourages you as you allow God's word and his presence to change your life. Man, it's what an honor to be here. Thank you so much, Braden. I do appreciate it. Listen, I, I bring Braden with me and invite him to our pastor's gatherings because I want people to really encounter Texas. I, like, I want people to encounter Texas. One of the first gatherings he, went, he mentioned this in San Francisco so it was pastors gathering and we were actually staying at homes with these other pastors. So I've got this super hipster pastor from Brooklyn, young, super young adult church, everybody's creative. Got this pastor from Denver, this other, you know, and, and here's what we were doing the whole entire time. We're we're at night talking, and Braden's telling us about how to catch rattlesnakes. (laughs) Full full on, full on, like, and we're like, what? And he's like, oh, yeah, man, you got to get in there, and you got to like, and like, all of us, all of us, and the guy from New York, he's like, what? What's going on? He's like, oh, this is how you catch rattlesnakes, man. He used to do it all the time growing up. (laughs) It's like, it was incredible. And uh, when I brought him, when I brought him with me to Australia, and we, when we went over there it's just West Texas lands in Australia and Australians weren't quite sure what to do and uh, we went to this like zoo or something we we'll walk around every animal he saw this was the question they hunt that that's what every animal can you hunt that can you hunt that that's all they wanted to know can you hunt that it was amazing it was a, it was a fantastic trip it was just my favorite person and him and Leanne, you guys really, you really do, Cody and all of them, you guys have some world class pastors and leaders, and uh, so it's good to be here. I, uh, my mom was actually, this is the first time preaching on a Sunday here. Uh, First of all, your building is incredible, Uh, just so, wow, just incredible. The last time I was here, this was not here, and so just well done on just really such a beautiful building, and uh, my mom was born in Lubbock, Texas, so I consider myself to be an honorary Texan, so you have to listen to me because somewhere in my bloodline is Texas, and uh, every time I come, I'm reminded of Texas. I, I, I remember, I remember the first time I ever came to Texas. Uh, we went to a restaurant, and I ordered a uh, uh, chicken fried steak. Is that right? I ordered a chicken fried steak, but it's not just a chicken fried steak. It came out and was smothered in gravy, smothered in gravy. And a very, and, and then I realized that Texans they don't all, they don't just eat a lot of meat, but you don't just have corn. You have like. Corn, you know, cream corn, like corn smothered in cream. And you don't just have lettuce. You have lettuce smothered in mayonnaise and call it coleslaw or whatever. And it's just like, dude, I honestly was here. The first time I was ever in Texas, I, I was like, how do people live past their 30s? How do people in Texas live past their 30s? This is astounding. So every time I come, I'm reminded again when they put a slab of beef in front of me that I am in Texas. So it is good to be here and uh, just really so love what God is doing and and absolutely am staying in touch with what's happening, not only in this church, but what is a movement that's impacting Texas. And it's pretty encouraging. Do you have your Bibles? Do you have your Bibles? Get your Bibles out if you got them. We're going to go to Ephesians chapter two. We're going to hang a right, Two chapters. And go to Ephesians chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, I want you to get them out. If you didn't bring your Bible, sit next to a Christian and read theirs. Um, come on now, that's not fair. That's not fair. Uh, in your digital Bibles, those don't count. Those won't go to heaven with you. You know what's going to go to heaven with you? You're leather bound. That's what's going to heaven with you. <laughs> We're going to read Ephesians chapter 2 and Ephesians chapter 4. I want to talk about a principle this morning out of Scripture and in our lives, there are foundational truths that when you can get a hold of those foundational truths, other things just naturally work out. There are certain kind of key truths that the Lord wants us to get a hold of because there's so many other things connected to that truth. What I want to talk to today about church is one of those things. I want to read this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. It says this, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints' and members of the household of God. It's talking about before you were saved, you were a stranger, you were a foreigner, you were disconnected, you were isolated, you were on your own, but when you got saved, it says that you're no longer a stranger or foreigner, but you've now become a member, and this is what the Bible says, of the household of God, the household of God. Keep your finger on Ephesians 4. We're going to go there in just a moment. I I believe deeply in the local church, like deeply, deeply believe in the local church. I believe deeply in the, the role of the local church in the life of a believer. I believe deeply in the role of the local church in the life of a city. But I really believe that where God is trying to take us and what God is trying to do in our hour is going to require us to look again fresh at the local church. And I believe that God wants to shift our perspective just slightly in how we see the local church. And I I don't know if you've ever looked at something and had a hard time making out what, what it was until maybe you just shifted your perspective or your position and you were able to see it more clearly. This is what I believe God is wanting to do, that he's wanting to come and just shift our perspective slightly on what the local church is, what the role of the local church is. And here's why. How you approach something... How you see something determines how you approach it. If if I see something incorrectly, I'm going to approach it incorrectly. If I perceive something improperly, I'm going to approach it improperly. And so how we see something is important because if I see it wrongly, then I'm going to interact with it wrongly and I'm going to engage with it in the improper way. So God, I think, is giving us a fresh perspective on what the church is so that we can engage and interact with it properly and actually get all that God's trying to give us through the local church. And this is the perspective that I think God is wanting to shift in us, and it's this, that the church is not a business, but it's a family. That the church is not a business, it's a family. Now, now I think that we would all applaud that concept. I think we would all say yes and amen to this concept that the church is a family, not a business. But I'm not sure we're stopping long enough to truly unpack that concept and really follow the thread out of, then what does that mean? Because if I see the church as a family, not a business, it will change how I interact with it. It will change how I engage with it. And I think that God wants to shift our perspective around this issue this has always been god's heart family is always what he's been after god did not send his son to die on the cross to redeem employees and workers unto himself he always has been after sons and daughters this is what he's going after in a family on the earth that represents his heart that represents the father so so if i see the church as something other than family. Then I'm going to interact with it and be frustrated, be confused because I don't see it properly. I, uh, I'm, a, I'm a pretty big customer service guy, uh, probably the American in me. When I travel in Europe and you know, England and those places, their customer service is horrible, like horrible. And so I, there's something in me that's like, this is my God-given American right to have customer service. And, and so when I go into a restaurant. I'm expecting good customer service. And when I don't get it, I don't get mad. I just remember and don't come back. So if I go into a restaurant and I sit down at a table and it takes 10 or 15 minutes before a waiter comes over to offer me bread or water or whatever else, I don't throw a fit. I just remember they got bad customer service. If I ask the waitress for this meal without tomatoes, because I think I can biblically prove in the book of Revelation that tomatoes are part of the plan of the Antichrist, Quite possibly the mark of the beast. Does anybody else agree with me on tomatoes on this one? No? Okay, thank you very much. So, so if, I, if I'm like, please don't put tomatoes in my meal and, they, and they, the dish comes out and there's tomatoes, I don't throw a fit. I push them off to the side, but I remember and just don't come back. If I go to a hotel, I want good customer service. And, it, and one of the things that frustrates me in traveling is when I'll, I'll be preaching all morning, eat, and then I'll come back wanting to relax in the afternoon before the night service, and they haven't come and cleaned the room. I don't throw a fit, I'm not that guy, but I do remember this stuff. Here's the problem. Those are businesses. That's a restaurant, that's a hotel. The problem comes in, can you imagine, see, first of all, let me say right now, I'm too scared of my wife to do this, but can you imagine if I came home after work one day, walked into my house, came and sat down at my table, and then sat there, waiting for somebody to come with bread and water (laughs) and 10 minutes later wondering what's going on right now why hasn't anybody come over to check on me and see what I need and 10 minutes in I'm just going uh excuse me is anybody going to bring me any uh bread rolls and um anybody going to bring me any water like around the house no no get up get your own water what are you talking about I cannot believe this place. Can you imagine if my wife brought a meal out that she made that had tomatoes, and I sat there and thought, I cannot believe this. I specifically asked for no tomatoes. Do you know what? I'm never coming here again. I'm going to take my business elsewhere. I will never come back to this place again. Well, I I, I mean, of course not. It doesn't, like, it's, it's not a restaurant. It's a house. It's family. Can you imagine if I walked into my room and my bed was unmade? And my bathroom was a mess, and I walk in and go, this is unbelievable. Why, why is my room a mess? Well, because like, it's not a hotel, it's a house. Th- this is important. I'm going to unpack this a little bit, because so many of us, without realizing it, don't approach the church as a family. We approach it as a business. And then we're confused. We're confused when we're sitting at the kitchen table, and nobody, right? Are you with me on this? It's problematic if i uh, my point is how i view something determines how i interact with it how i perceive something determines how i'm going to engage with it i engage with my house different than i engage with a restaurant i engage with my house different than i engage with a hotel cuz it's a house it's not a hotel it's a house it's not a restaurant and i think this i think this has to shift because we, we don't fully understand that when I come to the church, I'm coming to a house. I'm coming to a place where family gathers. My favorite holiday has become Thanksgiving. And so when we planted our church, we began to use the analogy that if it's family, then every time we gather, it's like we're coming together for Thanksgiving. It's like every Sunday for us is our family gathering for Thanksgiving. And I used Thanksgiving as the analogy because Thanksgiving has quickly become my favorite holiday. It wasn't my favorite holiday growing up because I grew up in a home that didn't have a ton of extended, we had no real extended family. So it was just my immediate family at holidays. Like it was me and my sister and my mom and my dad. And uh, our holidays were very simple and we would do, you know, we'd do Christmas with us four. It'd be like my dad and my mom and me and my sister. And then my dad would open his gift and we'd sit there and we'd look at it and talk about it and discuss it and write thank you notes for it. And then we'd go on to my mom and we'd do the same thing with her and Thanksgiving was just us. And that was just kind of the flow of things. But then I married my wife. And my wife has a massive extended family. And then that's all been added because there's step, step siblings and half siblings and there's all this type of stuff. And so it's just this massive family. And It was all so new to me. I remember the first time I went to Christmas. I, w- I was probably we were dating. I was probably twenty years old. Walked into Christmas one day with him, and there was forty people in the living room. And it all that already was like, "What's going on right now?" She's like, "I don't know. It's Christmas. It's Christmas. What, what are all these people over here?" "Oh, they're family. It's Christmas." I said, "Oh, okay." And uh, and I'm trying to like get to know some people, and I'm like, "Who's that guy?" And she goes, "Well, that's my brother Dave." Oh, your brother Dave. Okay, and I'm trying to find, is that your dad's side or whose side? Is that your mom's side? Where's that at? And she goes, well, neither. I'm like, neither? Then how is he your brother? I'm not making this up. She had to stop for a second and go, you know, I don't know. He just started hanging out with us in high school, and uh, we started calling him brother, and he's just come every year since. And I was like, what? That's not even legal. You can't, what? Why is he at Christmas? And then they would give me a gift to open. I'm like, well, thank you very much. And so I start opening. And as I'm opening my gift, I would look around, and like 10 other people are opening gifts. I was like, whoa, 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 (laughs) whoa. I haven't opened my gift yet. We haven't talked about my gift. We haven't discussed my gift. You can't just open gifts at the same time. I'm opening gifts. This is anarchy. I'm marrying an anarchist. What is happening right now? So this is the family that I got introduced to. But, but what came out of it was Thanksgiving became my favorite holiday. Oh, Thanksgiving is the best. It's aunts and uncles and cousins and nieces and nephews and grandparents, and we all show up in the morning. We're there all day long, and it's this whole ordeal, and all my brother-in-laws, they all played college football, and they all, and I like watching football, but I have no idea what they're talking about all day. All day long, I just nod like, yeah, he totally should have been in the A slot, or yeah, that totally was a whatever. I don't even know what they're talking about half the time. I just nod and act like I'm part of the group. Oh, yeah, 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 totally, and uh, it, but it's this whole ordeal, and and, and the amazing thing about Thanksgiving is everybody just jumps in and contributes. I was 19 years old when I first went. And I showed up, and somebody walked over to me and handed me a bag of potatoes and a bag of sweet potatoes and a potato peeler. I guess I'm peeling potatoes. Okay, thanks. And so I peeled these potatoes. And, uh, and then the next year I showed up, And then they handed me a bag of potatoes, sweet potatoes, and a potato peeler. And I'm like, all right, I guess I'm peeling potatoes this year. Do you know what I did last Thanksgiving? I'm a grown man. I'm 45 years old. I pastor a church. I've written books. And do you know what I did? I peeled potatoes. That's my job. That's what I do at Thanksgiving. That's what I do. And listen, I've taken it so serious now. I'm not making this up. I I got a potato peeler from Japan. And it's a potato peeler from Japan. And I show up to Thanksgiving with my own potato peeler now. I'm thinking about making a holster for it. I just, I roll into Thanksgiving. I don't even like, where's the potatoes? Let's bring them over. And, And like, here's the crazy thing. I don't have a passion for potatoes. I don't have a vision for potatoes. God didn't give me a mandate of potatoes. But what I do have a passion for is family. And I do have a passion for making that the best Thanksgiving we've ever had. And so I just jump in and contribute and I do the potatoes. And and, and I'm not even upset with the guy who's carving the turkey. I'm not even like, dude, I'm so jealous. You're carving a turkey. I'm going to be there one day. I won't. I start at the bottom, but I won't be here forever. I'm going to, like, I'm going to, like, I... Like, it doesn't even matter. Like, we don't even think like that. I don't even think like, well, I want to do this now. I'm like, I don't know. It's family. We all just jump in because I just love who we're doing it with. I love that we're, that we're making this as a family. We're all contributing to make this the best gathering we've had. And you know what? You want to know what's crazy? Is that the, the favorite dish, so granny's 98 years old, 99 now. She's an amazing woman. And she had this like Sweet potato casserole with, mu- with uh, mushrooms, with, uh, not mushrooms on top, that'd be nasty. With, um, what am I thinking, marshmallows, with marshmallows on top. Um, and it's the dish that everybody loves. In fact, it doesn't matter what's on the table, everybody lines up there. That's the first thing you get. You, you know one of those dishes? And you know what's crazy? Nobody thanks me. Now, in my head, this is what's happening. They're like, oh, this is so good. Oh, this is so good. In my head, I'm going, you like that? You like that? You're welcome. <laughs> those, those sweet potatoes did not peel themselves. <clears throat> I did that. You're welcome. But nobody thanks me for peeling the sweet potatoes. And it, I, it doesn't even matter. Like, we're, I don't know. We're just family. We jump in. This is what we do. Because And, and, and so, so when I'm talking to our church, I'm like, guys, listen, we're just family. You jump in, you contribute. It's the most natural thing in the world. Do you know there's three groups of people at Thanksgiving that don't serve? Kids, because they're immature. And there's not, it's not a knock on them. I'm just saying they're immature. It's more about them, and, and they're just running around playing and goofing around. They're not wondering how they can contribute. No problem. Second group is guests. Guests. Lots of times the nieces and nephews that are in college, they'll be bringing friends home for Thanksgiving. And when they're there, we're like, hey, you're good. Just sit there. We got it. We, we'll handle all this. You just sit there and we're going to serve you today. But the third group is the group that's concerning. It's usually uncles. And they sit on the couch all day long and they randomly yell for people to bring them food while they're watching football. Right? That, that's, that's not Normal that that's and and it's not like a forced thing it's just I don't know family we all jump in and contribute what what can we do sometimes I think when we approach church as something other than a house we get confused about things or even they'll come up and say hey we need help in the in the nursery we need help in kids ministry you're like I don't really have a passion for that and sometimes I just want to say as a pastor I don't know what does that have to do with anything like I, like I, you know, we all want you to step. But like, what is that? I don't know. It's like I don't have passion for peeling potatoes. But it's like I don't know if that's what we can do to contribute. But but that doesn't make sense if I'm approaching this as a restaurant. I don't show up to a restaurant. We went to a phenomenal restaurant. I don't show up to a restaurant and go, "Hey, I noticed you got mashed potatoes on here, and uh, you need any help? I happen to bring my." Uh, <laughs> You want me to go back and maybe peel some potatoes for you? I'm here. Uh, like, I don't, like, I'm there. And I understand that you're doing that, not me. Because it's a restaurant, not a family. Let me read this to you because theologically, theologically, it's important to understand what the church structure is about, what the church is meant for. And even Brayden mentioned the fivefold ministry. We have to understand what the fivefold ministry is actually for. Now, this is Paul. He's writing the church in Ephesus. And and this is, I mean, this is Paul, the brilliant architect of the early church who's laying out structure and leadership and all this type of stuff. And he's about to introduce the five-fold ministry, which are gifts that have been given to us. And when you read Ephesians 4, and when you read the other letters of Paul, one of the things you'll notice consistently, consistently is the language of family that he's using. He's using family language In his letters, even when he's talking about church structure, it's a family concept he puts it in. Let me read this to you. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, it says this, And he himself, talking about Jesus, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ... Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man. Braden, don't run with conviction right now. Come on, Braden. Father, we just pray right now. <laughs> now I gotta go back to scripture. So here's what they've been given. Equipping the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, for the building up, one translation says. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to what one the NIV says, to a mature man, to the measure and stature of the fullness of Christ, here's the family language, that we should no longer be children. Tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love, here it is again, may grow up into all things who is the head Christ. See when I approach church as a family, what I recognize is this: that the goal of family is maturity. The goal of the fivefold is to equip you and to mature you so that you're no longer a child. that you're not to remain a child, and so God gave us gifts so that we could be equipped and so that we could mature. Now I'm going to talk about this, but 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 the goal of family is maturity that's the goal of family Uh, my kids it's my responsibility to make sure that they grow so my son I want to see him grow I want to see him mature physically I want to see him mature emotionally I want to see him mature spiritually I want to see him mature relationally that's the goal of family And the goal is is that he would mature until he becomes a father and mother to then to have sons and daughters who mature to fathers and mothers who have sons and daughters who mature to fathers and mothers. This is a family concept. It's not a business concept. It's a family concept. And the the most natural thing for family is, is understanding that we want to see maturity. This is why sometimes when people get confused in the church why, they would, why other people are involved in their life. My son, he's 15, but let's say he was 11 and he stopped growing. He physically stopped growing. That would be cause for great concern in my life. And I would stop and say, son, I don't know what's going on, but we need to take you to the doctor and we need to find out what's going on. And his grandparents would be concerned. And his siblings would be concerned. And his aunts and uncles would be concerned. And they would be checking in, like, what's going on? And what are the doctors saying? Why isn't he growing anymore? And I said, I don't know. We're trying to figure it out. Because we are concerned when there is lack of growth in his life. And then we come into the church and, and people are like coming and they're like, Hey, what's going on? You don't seem like you're growing. You're like, whoa, whoa, how about you back up and get out of my business a little bit? Oh, you, you think you're at a restaurant, not a house. I mean, the most natural thing in the world should be that if we're not growing, people are concerned. They're like, hey, uh, it just doesn't feel like you've grown much in the Lord. You're the same kind of as you were last year. What's going on? That's a concern. You should be maturing. You should be growing. The Christian life is a life of maturing. The Christian life, this is sanctification. It's a life of maturing to look like Jesus. And when we come into a family, we get better understanding of like, oh, that's what's happening around me, a community of people, a family of people who are interested in my growth. If, if, the, if, the, if, the, if family is interested in maturity, here's the problem. Business, which is connected to consumerism, see, maturity involves struggle. Maturity involves struggle. It involves growing pains. My son right now is walking through stuff. He's trying to figure out. There is struggle in maturing. The problem is, is that the goal of business, which is connected to consumerism, is geared towards removing struggle. So I love American consumerism. Can I just put that out there right now? I love American consumerism. I love that there are teams of people that are trying to figure out how to make my life easier. I love that there are entire departments at Apple who are trying to figure out how to make my life easier. And they're looking at, you know, they're looking at maps on Apple and they're looking at apps and they're looking at this and they're trying to figure out how can we make Banning's life easier. And there's an entire, and I will continue to shop at Apple because there's teams of people that are trying to figure out how to make my life easier. I love that. I love that Staples has a whole easy button concept that they're trying to do all that type of stuff. But the concept is consumerism is trying to remove struggle so that you'll spend your money there in other words if you had two coffee shops a, month, a month, you know a block apart they're competing for business and so so there's one owner sitting in a coffee shop one day and he notices a guy drive up to a parking lot guy gets out walks in orders a coffee waits for the coffee gets gets his coffee walks straight back out to his car and drives off and the owner thinks i think i could remove an obstacle i think i could make it even easier so I'm going to put a drive-through in, and then he puts a drive-through in because he's trying to make it easier for that that customer. He's trying to remove that struggle. He's trying to remove that obstacle. And now people are people are going to this coffee shop over this coffee shop simply because it's easier. There's a drive-through now. Anybody else not want to go to a coffee shop that doesn't have a drive-through? Anybody else irritated when you're like, you have to get out of your car and walk into a coffee shop when you're just trying to get a coffee to go? Right, like that's what's going on. So I'm like irritated. I got to get out and walk what's going on you know just put a drive-through in like this is how we're geared the problem is when we come into the church we think the church if it's not a family and it's a business should be removing struggle here's the problem maturity involves struggle my son right now, he's just going through, it's not a massive thing, but he's just working through some stuff with, you know, school or whatever else, and, and everything in me wants to, like, re, like, how can I just remove this struggle you're in? Like, as a parent, I just want to, uh, but I also know as a parent, this is really good for you. This is where you're going to mature. This is where you're going to grow. This is where you're going to get confident. Like, I know that this struggle means something, A a restaurant's not interested in that. They just want you to get in. They're trying to figure out how to remove all obstacles in your life so that you'll come spend money there. The problem is, is, is that if we don't view it as a, if you don't view church as a family, and hear me on this, you are going to remain immature. You are going to remain stunted in your Christian life. Have you heard the emperor moth story? Listen to this real quick. A man found a cocoon of an emperor moth. He took it home so that he could watch it come out of the cocoon. On the day a small opening appeared, he sat and watched the moth for several hours as it struggled to force its body through the little hole. After a while, it seemed to stop making any progress. It appeared that it had gotten as far as it could and couldn't go any further. It just seemed to be stuck the man in his kindness decided to help the moth with a pair of scissors he snipped off the remaining bit of the cocoon the moth em- then emerged with ease it had a swollen body and small shriveled wings the man continued to watch the moth because he expected that in any moments its wings would enlarge and expand to be able to support the bloated body which he was sure would contract soon neither happened In fact, the little moth spent the rest of its life crawling around with a swollen body and shriveled wings that was never able to fly. What the man in his haste had not understood was that the restricting cocoon and struggle required for the moth to get through the tiny opening was nature's way of forcing fluid from the moth's body into its wings so that it would be ready for flight once it achieved freedom from the cocoon. Freedom and flight would only come after the struggle. Depriving the moth of this struggle, the man unwillingly deprived it of, of health and its natural body. See, sometimes we, we want to come to a place and, 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 and we don't want any struggle. I tell our own church, like, we don't want struggle or we don't want sacrifice. Listen, struggle and sacrifice are all part of the maturing process in your life. Well, I don't want to get up early in the morning. I don't want to have to do this. I don't want to have to press in. I don't want to have to believe for something. Can Google just not make it easier? Can they not just put a drive-through in for me? I, don't want, I tell our church all the time, see, here's the problem. When you come into church, you're like, hey, can you, make, can you make community easier for me? I'm having a hard time with community. Can you make it easier? I tell our church all the time, I'm like, I don't want to tell you. Community is a struggle. Sometimes you gotta fight for community. Sometimes it's messy. Sometimes it doesn't work out. Sometimes you can't quite find the right place at first. Sometimes, and, and we wanna come into the church. And when we think it's a restaurant, we're going like, hey, can you not like, do something for me? When you're at a house, it's different. It's family. Say, no, this struggle, you can get through this. The struggle's not bad. And if we're in environments where, that are constantly just trying to remove struggle from our life, we're going to always stay stunted in our growth. Struggle's not bad. Sometimes we got to believe for things. Sometimes we got to press in when we don't want to. Sometimes we got to move towards people when they're annoying. Yeah. And I and and but but we're confused about this if we think it's a restaurant. See, one of the major signs of maturity is something called personal responsibility. See, the, the goal of the fivefold is to mature you, but the goal of the fivefold is to equip you. And the equipping part has to do with this personal responsibility. I think one of the main prophetic words God wants to give the church right now in America is personal responsibility. Yes. Because what's amazing is when you became a follower of Jesus, He asked things of you. So, as a follower of Jesus, I now have a call in my life. I know I have a mandate in my life, and God is asking things of me. And every follower of Jesus is called to pray. Every follower of Jesus is called to share their faith, to disciple people, to be generous, to take care of the poor. Like, this is just the mandate on believers. But when we don't view the church as a family, and when we view it as a restaurant, we actually are looking for the church to not equip us for our Christian life. But to do our Christian life for us. That's why I go to a restaurant, because I don't want to cook and I don't want to clean up. That's why I'm paying you money to do that for me. And so when I view the church wrongly as a business rather than as a family, I don't show up to Thanksgiving going, hey, I'm here to, I, I, I'm here to contribute to this thing. What can I do? I show up. And it's a different thing. And this is fascinating to me. I have, um, so many times we're looking for the church to do what God's called us to do. We're trying to take, listen, I have a responsibility to follow Jesus, and I'm looking for the church to do that. I mentioned my wife. There's a lot of stuff. I grew up completely different than my wife, and so I grew up in a very structured, orderly home, so we didn't really have a place for pets, and then I married my wife, and she's a full-blown zookeeper. It's insane. Uh, If you knew my wife, she's like one big, huge bundle of chaos and life, and so the amount of chickens and rabbits and birds and frogs and hamsters and cats— and dogs that we have had over the years of 23 years of marriage is insane. But what my wife really loves is dogs, and then this one in particular, this one dog, this golden retriever named Dash. And she loves Dash. I mean, she loves Dash. I love Dash. I think if I said, CJ, you have to choose between me or Dash. I think she would choose me because she made a covenant before God with me, but I think it would take her a few minutes. I think she'd have to think about it. I think if there was a fire in our house and, uh, and I was in trouble and Dash was in trouble, she'd be like, it's been good knowing you, Banning, but you're on your own. I'm saving Dash. Like this is, this is she loves this dog. But when we first got him as a puppy for the first year, it was insane. He just dug everything and he chewed everything, and and he wouldn't walk on. He just choked himself on a leash every time he walked. He he just ran outside the door whenever it was open. So finally, I said, "CJ, we got to figure this out, man. This is crazy. We got to get this dog trained." And so I went down to Petco, and they had like a a class for $180 for, you know, 10 sessions or whatever. So I signed up for it. I'm so excited. Somebody's going to train my dog. And I bring my dog the first day to this class. It's already embarrassing because he will not walk on a leash. He is choking himself. He's pulling so hard. He's like, the whole way in and I'm like holding him on trying to act like I'm fine I'm like oh you know like and then and then and then I sit down in the class and he choked himself so bad he's just coughing <laughs> like the whole did my dog and I'm like hey how you doing uh, uh and and then the lady walks out the lady the dog trainer she walks out and she starts the class and about 10 minutes in I notice she was talking to me I'm like why are you talking to me I'm not the problem my dog's the problem my dog's the one that's tearing up my carpet and chewing up everything like fix my dog but I thought all right it's a it's a first class I'm sure that she just was like intro class I come back the next week she kept talking to me until all of a sudden I realized oh wait a second are you not going to train my dog are you trying to teach me to train my dog I didn't pay you money to teach me to train my dog. I paid you money to fix my dog, fix my dog, <laughs> train my dog. And when I realized that dog trainers don't actually train dogs, they just try to train me to train my dog. I didn't go back. I just left. I'm like, yeah, I, I don't want. I don't want you to train my dog. I want you to train. I don't want you to train me. I want you to train my dog. Welcome to the church. I mean, people roll in and they're like, hey, i got a Christian life here. God's called me to take care of the poor and share my faith and disciple. And uh, so uh, what are you going to do about that? What are you going to do about that? One of the main signs of maturity is that I begin to take responsibility for my Christian life. That I begin to go, I don't need a pastor to disciple my neighbor for me. I simply need a pastor to equip me to disciple my neighbor. I, uh, I, I really do believe that, that the family concept is so tied um, to the harvest. We can have the worship team come up. I have, I, I believe that one of the catalysts to the harvest is going to be the church truly operating as a family. And I'm not talking about size. This isn't about like, well, you can only be a small church and be a family. Or This is a culture issue, not a size issue. And so, so many times what happens is, this is what I believe. I believe that the most attractive thing on the planet is healthy family. Healthy family. I don't know if you grew up in a dysfunctional family, but you had a friend who was in a healthy family. And there was just something in you that's like, can I hang out with your family? Like healthy family is one of the most attractive things. This is a horrible example because I'm going to throw my mom under the bus, but, but she's not here. Um, growing up, my mom's a great mom, but she was not an early morning person. So every day that I woke up, you know, I, just, I would grow up and I would just have to pour my, I would have to make my own breakfast, which was cereal. Can you imagine that? Unbelievable how I grew up. And... Uh, so I remember one day, I was, I was pouring cereal. I was, in, I was probably in seventh grade. And I had a best friend who le- lived a couple streets over. His name was Peter, Peter Shelley. And his mom, every day, woke up at five. And when he got up at 6.30, he walked out of his room, down the hallway, into the kitchen, to a hot breakfast. Every morning, bacon and eggs, waffles, pancakes, biscuits and gravy. I remember sitting at my house one day I'm in 7th grade probably eating my cold cereal thinking Peter's eating a hot breakfast right now it's about 3 minutes on my bike so I got up I'm I'm not making this up I rode my bike to his house this is kind of my personality I rode my bike to his house I was friends with him I dropped it in their driveway I didn't even knock I walked in I said, hello, Mrs. Shelley, what's going on, Peter? And I sat down at their table and she brought me breakfast. I started going to their house in the morning to have breakfast. My mom was still asleep and I would just get up and ride my bike to their house and I would walk in their front door because they had breakfast. Listen, there's something, that the world may not even fully know how to articulate what they're longing for. But when they encounter a healthy family, they're like, I don't know what that is, but I wanna be there. I wanna be connected to that. And here's why I'm challenging you around this concept of family and business, because here's the reality. They, They can tell when they walk in the door if this is a place that treats it like it's a restaurant or like a family. Is this a place that's serving one another? Is this a place that's believing in one another is this a place that's challenging people deeply to not stop growing but also believing in them deeply is this a place that jumps in is this a bunch of uncles sitting on a couch or is this people that are jumping in and serving all over the place do you know what else and i gotta let you go because there's another service this is one of the things we say at our church If this is a family and this is a house, then every single person that walks through those doors, it's not the greeter's responsibility to make them feel welcome. It's all of our responsibility, which means this. There shouldn't be a new person that comes in that walks in these doors that 10 people don't immediately go over and talk to them. Because if this was your house, and if you had somebody at your house that was sitting at a party that you were throwing, if they were at your Thanksgiving and they were sitting there by themselves, you would never let them sit there by themselves. We had a guest come just a couple a couple Thanksgivings ago uh, from college, he was sitting by himself and my wife said, go over there and get him. I walked over to him and I said, hey, how you doing? Do you peel potatoes? And I brought him. There's no way, there's no way, there is no way you're gonna sit in my house and not feel connected. Thanks again for listening today.